This is episode 476 of the AWS podcast, released on October 3rd, 2021. G'day everyone, Simon here with a quick pre-podcast message. Episode number 500 of the AWS podcast is coming up. We have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests, but we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, etc., we'd love to hear from you. If you visit adibus.amazon.com slash podcast slash podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode. Keep on building. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. It's Simon Lynch here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. Good as always. Happy to be here as usual. It's, it is good to have you here. We've finally got the uh, scheduling gods to align when it comes to these update shows. I know, right? Okay. Sometimes it's such a struggle. It's not always easy, but we are here and we have lots of cool updates to uh, to share. And I'm going to start with an infrastructure update. And we are thrilled to announce that we are working on the AWS Asia Pacific Auckland region. This is in the works and will open in 2024. Ooh. And this region will have, yeah, we'll have three availability zones and we'll give AWS customers in New Zealand the ability to run workloads and store data that must remain in country. Now, this is a pretty amazing investment for New Zealand and being adjacent to New Zealand, I'm always very interested in uh, what happens with our, our New Zealand cousins over there. And we estimate for New Zealand that our $7.5 billion New Zealand investment will create a thousand new jobs and will have an estimated economic impact of 10 billion New Zealand dollars over the next 15 years. So it's pretty exciting for New Zealand. We're thrilled. Um, pretty chuffed. Wow. Incredible. Incredible uh, launch for uh, New Zealand. Moving on to the topic of AWS Marketplace. AWS has announced enhancements to the AWS Marketplace Consulting Partner Private Offer Self-Service Experience. This is a new feature that enables consulting partners the ability to easily view and create offers from independent software vendors resell authorization opportunities in the AWS Marketplace Management Portal. And they had another announcement here. They've launched aliases for all single AMI products. So customers can use aliases to refer to AMIs purchased from the marketplace. And AMI aliases are, of course, unique identifiers that can be used instead of an AMI ID in deployment scripts. And now they're available for all single AMI products on the marketplace. Moving on to the topic of analytics, Amazon QuickSight Q is now generally available. This is a machine learning powered natural language capability that lets you ask questions about your data using <laughs> everyday business language rather than SQL. Now, I'm not sure I'm thrilled about that because I do love SQL, but how cool is it that users can ask questions like, what is our year-over-year growth rate and get an instant answer in QuickSight as a visualization, which is pretty nice. Amazon QuickSight also launched a data set as a source. This is a new feature that saves customers time and improves data governance. This allows users to create a new data set using one or more existing data sets as input and combine it with brand new data sources, such as other databases, CSV files, and apps like Twitter. And then curators can create central data sets that authors can reuse and to create their own data sets. You can control the definitions of business metrics and the central data sets, and authors save time by getting a starting point to create new data sets themselves. 
If a data set's definition needs to be updated, you can do it directly to the central data sets and dependent data sets get automatically updated. This is very cool and makes life a lot easier. Aqua is now available for Amazon Redshift RA3.XL plus nodes. So Aqua stands for Advanced Query Accelerator, and it is now generally available for those RA3.XL plus nodes, which are RA3.16x large, RA3.4x large, or RA3.XL plus, with absolutely no code changes needed. You can enable Aqua for your existing RA3 clusters or launch a new Aqua-enabled RA3 cluster via the console, API, or CLI. Amazon EMR Studio now supports multi-language Jupyter-based notebooks for Spark workloads. So EMR Studio is, of course, an integrated IDE that makes it easy for data scientists and data engineers to develop, visualize, and debug big data. And they have now announced that from EMR 6.4.0 and later, you can use Python, Scala, Spark SQL, and R within the same Jupyter Notebook in EMR Studio, which provides greater flexibility to use different languages for Spark workloads. Previously, you could only write code in one language within the same notebook for a Spark workload, but now you can switch between Python, Scala, Spark SQL, and R within the same notebook and share data between cells via temporary tables. There's an additional update here for EMR Studio. You can now authenticate EMR Studio users using IAM-based authentication or IAM federation in addition to single sign-on. So they've you know, announced these new additional authentication options. Before this release to log into EMR Studio, you had to integrate your identity provider with single sign-on. Now with this release, you can choose to use AWS IAM authentication or IAM federation with your corporate credentials to log into EMR Studio in addition to, of course, using single sign-on. Amazon MSK now supports running multiple authentication modes and also has updates to TLS encryption settings. So this is the Amazon managed streaming for Apache Kafka service. And now it supports simultaneous use of multiple authentication modes and also means you can update your encryption in transit settings for your MSK clusters. So you can now use any combination of mutual TLS, SASL Scram or IAM access control on new or existing customers. So this is really useful if you're migrating from one to the other and you need that uh, that capability. You also now have flexibility to update TLS encryption settings for data moving between clients and brokers to ensure your encryption settings can evolve with your requirements. And you can also update the private security authority recognized by the cluster that can be used to sign certificates for mutual TLS authentication. We're also pleased to announce Amazon MSK Connect, which is serverless scalable Kafka Connect clusters in Amazon MSK. I feel like that's a bit of a tongue twister there. And what this really does is in a few clicks, it lets you easily deploy, monitor, and scale the connectors that move data in and out of Apache Kafka and Amazon MSK clusters from external systems like databases, file systems, and search indices. No provisioning of clusters, no maintenance. It just goes up and down as you need it. That sounds like the kind of thing I like. Me too. And indeed, another update for Amazon Redshift R SQL. This is a command line client for interacting with Amazon Redshift clusters and databases. So, Amazon Redshift R SQL supports the capabilities of PostgreSQL command line tool with an additional set of Amazon Redshift specific capabilities. So, things like single sign on authentication for ADFS, Ping Identity, Okta, etc., uh, browser based SAML identity providers, MFA. You can describe properties or attributes of Amazon Redshift objects like distribution keys, sort keys, whole bunch of stuff. There's also Amazon Redshift R SQL batch mode, which executes a script passed as input 
parameters so that you can run scripts that include both SQL and complex business logic. Whole bunch of cool stuff. I'm installing it. It's available for Linux, Windows, and Mac OS X. <laughs> yeah, it looks actually really cool. This next one is actually a really important update. Amazon Elasticsearch Service is now Amazon Open Search Service and has added support for OpenSearch 1.0. So actually, there's a bunch of updates here for Elasticsearch, which I will now refer to as Amazon OpenSearch Service. So Elasticsearch has a brand new name, that is right, OpenSearch Service, and with this change, which coincides with the addition of support for OpenSearch 1.0, you can now refer to this service as OpenSearch, and you can now run and scale both OpenSearch and Elasticsearch until version 7.10, clusters on the Amazon OpenSearch service, and get all the same benefits that you've enjoyed thus far from the Amazon Elasticsearch service. So along with OpenSearch 1.0, they will continue to support legacy Elastic versions until 7.10 on the service. You can upgrade your existing Elasticsearch clusters on Amazon OpenSearch service to OpenSearch 1.0, similar to how you upgrade to newer Elasticsearch versions. They've changed the configuration APIs to make them generic and launched a new SDK version. They also will maintain backward compatibility to help you continue to operate your cluster and make this renaming as seamless as possible. Additional updates to the open source service, it now supports index transforms. So this enables customers to extract significant information from large data sets and store summarized views in new indices. Customers can derive new insights, further analyze and visualize trends from the new summary index. Index transforms are similar to materialized views in databases and provide an interactive way to aggregate and store summarized views from large data sets so that you can visualize and analyze the data more easily. For example, you can summarize the annual sales index with multiple fields using transforms to organize the data by region, quarter, and then revenue. And then there's another update here. The OpenSearch service now supports data streams with OpenSearch 1.0 to simplify the management of time series data. So this is, you know, time series data such as logs, metrics, traces. Data streams will abstract the underlying indexes required for your time series data, the rollover process, and the optimizations required to efficiently manage and query time-based data, reducing operational overload. You can move your older rolled-over indexes that are part of a data stream to ultra-warm and beyond that to cold storage, helping you retain data for longer in a more cost-effective way. And lastly here... They have also launched OpenSearch Dashboards Notebooks, which is actually really cool. A new, it's a new visual reporting feature available for the OpenSearch service, and it enables users to interactively and collaboratively develop rich reports backed by live data and queries. So a notebook is a document made up of cells or paragraphs that can combine Markdown, SQL, and piped processing language queries and visualizations with support for multi-timeline so that users can basically tell a story with the data. I think this is like super cool. Uh, having used Elasticsearch, I am really interested in these uh, these notebooks. Mm -hmm. Basically, you can create a story, but you can, you know, you can use multiple languages here to query and create different uh, cells, essentially similar to kind of like a Jupyter notebook. Very cool. Lots of lots of cool updates there. Moving on to the topic of application integration, Amazon MQ now supports RabbitMQ version 3.8.22. So this has some fixes that were important to get, uh, and we recommend that you go to this particular version. On to the topic of compute. Lots of updates in this world. AWS announces the availability of Microsoft Windows Server 2022 images on Amazon EC2. So you can now spin them up and launch them and get them going. 
this is really useful for things like testing and enabling new features in the software, understanding how it works, testing your own compatibility, doing a migration plan, making migrations easy. It is all there for you. Amazon EC2 Fleet Instant Mode now supports targeted Amazon EC2 on-demand capacity reservations. So on-demand capacity reservations let you reserve compute capacity for your Amazon EC2 instances in a specific availability zone for any duration. For targeted capacity reservations, instances must specifically target the capacity reservation to run on the reserve capacity. Now, you couldn't use this in the past when using EC2 Fleet. Now you can. Um, and you can use it in the instant mode only. Uh, lots more information in the show notes. Amazon EC2 T3 instances are now supported on EC2 dedicated hosts in multiple regions. So if you need to run dedicated hosts to run eligible bring your own license software, these can let you run up to four times more instances than the comparable EC2 general purpose dedicated host and can reduce your infrastructure footprint and license cost by up to 70%. That's pretty nifty. And a brand new instance type, the Amazon EC2 VT1 instances. These are the first EC2 instances optimized for video transcoding. These are powered by the Xilinx Alveo U30 media accelerators for video transcoding. And they are optimized for workloads like live broadcast, video conferencing, and just-in-time transcoding. And they deliver up to 30% cost per stream reduction compared to a G4DN GPU-based instance, and up to 60% lower cost per stream than a C5 instance as well. These are great instances, and I'm guessing that uh, some of your uh, streaming activities, Nikki, have gone through these instances at some point. Most definitely. I've used the C5 (laughs) ones for sure. That's a great update. Really, really cool new instance type. Moving on, Amazon EC2 Hibernation has added support for Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8, CentOS 8, and Fedora 34. So EC2 now supports Hibernation for on-demand Nitro-based instances running Red Hat Enterprise Linux version 8, CentOS 8, and Fedora 34, which this allows you to pause your EC2 instances and resume them at a later time rather than fully terminating and restarting them. EC2 has announced increases for instance network bandwidth. So this has increased instance bandwidth from AWS region to traffic destined toward internet gateway, direct connect, and between regions for current generations of instances. Previously, it was 5 gigabytes per second for all instances. Now with this launch, current generation EC2 instances that have 32V CPUs or higher can now drive a higher bandwidth of up to 50% of instance network bandwidth to these destinations. For example, a C5N9X large has an instance network bandwidth of 50 gigabytes per second. With this launch, it can drive 25 gigabytes per second to Internet Gateway, Direct Connect, and other AWS regions. Customers can now leverage this increased instance network bandwidth to speed up data migration via Direct Connect. Amazon EKS Anywhere is now generally available. So EKS Anywhere is a new deployment option for EKS that allows customers to create and operate Kubernetes clusters on customer-managed infrastructure and, of course, supported by AWS. So you can run EKS Anywhere on, on-prem using your own infrastructure, using VMware vSphere, and then, of course, that's now generally available. And Amazon ECR now adds the ability to replicate individual repositories to other regions and accounts, which is kind of nice. So this is the Amazon Elastic Container Registry. And now you can get more granular control to replicate images within the repositories you want instead of replicating everything across. Uh, So this makes it more refined in its replication style. 
AWS Elastic Beanstalk now supports dynamic instance type selection within the Elastic Beanstalk environment. This means it will automatically fetch all the EC2 instance types based on region and availability zone for you to run a variety of applications, and you can choose the best suited instance type for your application's performance, and that gives you lots of choice, which we like. AWS Parallel Cluster now supports cluster management through Amazon API Gateway. Now, this is a really cool little improvement here. So if you haven't come across Amazon Parallel Cluster, it is a fully supported and maintained open source cluster management tool that makes it easier for scientists, researchers, and IT administrators to deploy HPC clusters on AWS. Now, these typically have tightly coupled compute storage and networking and are used for large-scale stuff. Now, what they've done is added support for cluster management via the Amazon API Gateway, so you can use the HTTP endpoints instead of having to do uh, scripted workflows, etc. So this gives you a whole lot of new options in terms of automation. There's also now improved custom AMI creation. So you can specify the build components to install software, security hardening, etc. So this is using the EC2 image builder that we talked about before. And the cluster configuration files themselves have been retooled to make them more robust and easier to maintain. Pretty cool update. And also Amazon EKS Connector is now in public preview. So this is the Amazon Elastic Kubernetes service. And this allows you to connect any conformant Kubernetes cluster to AWS and visualize it in the Amazon EKS console. So cool. This is very nice, isn't it? So you can now sort of see what's going on because one of the biggest problems of debugging anything is seeing how everything hooks together and this helps. Definitely, that's a really cool update. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement. Amazon Connect has a bunch of updates here. The first one is Amazon Connect Customer Profiles has added product purchase history to personalize customer interactions. So Profiles now supports out-of-the-box integration with product purchase history from Salesforce. When a customer calls or messages a contact center for a service, Connect Customer Profiles equips contact center agents with the customer information they need to deliver personalized customer service and resolve issues quickly, which just helps all of us as end consumers of contact centers all the time. Customer Profiles also helps to make it easier to bring together customer information, i.e. name, address, phone number, contact history, purchase history, etc., from multiple applications into a unified customer profile, thus delivering the profile directly to the agent as soon as they begin interacting with the customer. Connect Chat now supports passing a customer display name and contact attributes through the chat user interface. So you can personalize the chat customer experience with this new feature. Contact attributes include relevant metadata associated with the contact, such as customer ID, loyalty status, or even context about the web page the customer was on and when they started the chat. Contact attributes are available in Amazon Connect Flows, and they make it really easy to create a unique and compelling customer experience, such as prioritizing a platinum-level customer or performing an agent screen pop with the relevant customer information displayed. Contact I lens. Was, I, I, want, I, want platinum, I want platinum status too. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these updates I actually just love because you know that you are going to interact with, you know, a contact center at some point. And if and you're you using can tell Amazon the Connect, yeah, you can absolutely <laughs> tell the difference when the agent has Amazon Connect in front of them. Exactly. Um, contact lens for Amazon Connect has added support for eight languages. So that's three new languages, Korean, Japanese, and Mandarin, in addition to five other languages, Canadian French, French French, Brazilian Portuguese, German, and uh, Italian. And so these are all, all eight are now supported for real-time analytics. 
which brings the total to 21 supported languages for post-call analytics. Update for Amazon SES, the simple email service. It now supports emails with a message size of up to 40 meg. So you can now request a limit increase and send things with bigger attachments as you need to. The default message limit remains 10 meg for sending and 30 meg for receiving. However, now you can request a limit increase for both send and receive for up to 40 meg as well. Amazon Pinpoint now supports encrypted SNS topics for inbound SMS. This is another one of those tongue twisters. So this lets you add more layers of protection when using Amazon Pinpoint for two-way SMS text messaging. So when you enable two-way SMS messaging, you can publish inbound messages to encrypted SNS topics for retrieval and processing. And it uses our old friend, the Adibus Key Management Service, to encrypt the messages that it sends to those topics. So data in Amazon Pinpoint is encrypted in transit and at rest. Moving on to the topic of database and it's a bunch of updates here, so I'm going to whip through them real quick at the high level. Firstly, Amazon DynamoDB now gives you more granular control of audit logging by letting you filter streams data plane API activity in AWS CloudTrail. So what this means is you can selectively log and decide what you want to look for from a compliance perspective with on or within a particular resource. And this gives you far more granular control. So for example, you can log only DynamoDB stream APIs to narrow CloudTrail events that you receive, and you can just identify security issues, or you can record all API activity on DynamoDB and get detailed information like IAM user roles, et cetera, that made a request. Um, this makes it a lot easier to manage what's going on. A lot of instance support updates for Amazon RDS and others, so let me run through them quickly. Amazon RDS now supports T4G instances for MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres databases. This looks to be a 36% better price performance um, equation over comparable current generation x86-based T3DB instances. Amazon RDS now supports X2G instances for MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres SQL. These give you 33% more memory than you had previously available. So again, depending on your user type, you're good to go. And it also takes advantage of our good friend, the AWS Graviton2 processors, which gives you great performance and cost benefits. Amazon RDS also now supports R5B instances for MySQL and Postgres databases. So these are, again, a great choice for IO-intensive DB workloads. So the thing here is that you use the instance type that suits your workload and you have the option to change. So don't just set up your database and run it. Set up your database, run it, and then have a look at it and go, aha, I can tweak things and get better price performance. Amazon Aurora Serverless version 1 now supports configurable auto-scaling timeout. So based on your application's needs, you can now specify timeout between 1 and 10 minutes with a default of 5 minutes. And basically, it looks for a period of no activity and then starts scaling. A few other support things before I pass back to Nikki to talk about some cool developer stuff. Amazon Aurora now supports AWS Graviton 2-based T4G instances. As I mentioned, very good for a whole raft of general purpose stuff. Also has the ability to burst when necessary. Amazon Aurora also now supports the AWS Graviton 2-based X2G instances as well. So this gives you the highest memory per vCPU at the lowest cost per gig of memory as well. So again, a great choice. And finally, Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports MSDTC JDBC XA for SQL Server 2017 CU16+, and SQL Server 2019. So this means you can either execute the transactions on your database using SQL Server as a transaction manager using linked servers, or you can promote the MSDTC running on the same host as a client application to the role of transaction manager. 
Moving on to the best topic, developer tools. Amazon Coretto 17 is now generally available. This version now supports the latest Java feature release, JDK 17. I know Java developers are really excited about version 17. A lot of features that they didn't have before. So definitely check it out. Amazon Code Guru Reviewer has enhanced security findings generated by GitHub Actions by adding severity fields and CWE tags. I love this one. Uh, so customers can actually use these new features to sort, filter, and prioritize their backlog of security vulnerabilities within the GitHub user interface. Really, really cool. So the, re the recommendations basically are generated by Code Guru Reviewer in a GitHub action, and then you can actually just see them inside of GitHub and then fix them as you please. Amazon Code Guru Reviewer has added new inconsistency detectors. This one's also very interesting. So these inconsistency detectors are a new type of machine learning based detector that analyzes coding patterns within a developer's repository and helps detect when there's an anomaly that deviates from their standard pattern. An example of this is that Code Reviewer can now find a missing null check. So if a developer always included a null check for an input in a certain function but accidentally missed it one time, CodeGuru could actually check it using these new inconsistent detectors and flag it and bring it up to you, which is it awesome. It sounds like it's going to be interesting too. I think it's going to highlight your own habits. You know, what is what is what do you what do you do normally when you code that you may not even notice? <laughs> sure. I think it's I think that's really interesting. Yeah, like how did you miss your own pattern sometimes? Like <laughs> you were tired, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was a Monday. <laughs> Moving on, AWS CodeBuild now supports a small ARM machine type. So CodeBuild now supports ARM-based workloads that will run on an additional AWS Gravitron 2 machine suited for less resource-intensive workloads. Uh, so you can now enable your builds to run on an ARM machine. AWS CDK has released versions 1.117.0 through versions 1.120 with improved support for Amazon Kinesis Firehose, Amazon CloudFront, Amazon Cognito, and more. So there are four new versions of the CDK for JavaScript, TypeScript, Java, Python, .NET, and Go. And these releases include multiple additions to the Kinesis Firehose construct library, including compression and prefixes on S3 delivery stream destinations, delivery stream metrics, S3 source backups, AWS Lambda-based data processors, and more. And then the CloudFront construct library now supports Origin Shield. CloudWatch supports defining alarms across AWS accounts, and Cognito User Pools supports device tracking. These releases resolve 28 issues and introduce 37 new features that span 30 different modules across the library. Definitely check out the release notes for more information. And lastly for this topic, we've announced the general availability of tracing support in the AWS distro for OpenTelemetry. So the distro for OpenTelemetry is for tracing, and with this launch, customers can use the OpenTelemetry APIs in a lot of our SDKs, specifically Java, .NET, Python, Go, and JavaScript, to collect and send traces to AWS X-Ray and monitor destinations supported by the OpenTelemetry protocol. Moving on to the topic of game tech, AWS announces general availability of the Amazon GameLift plugin and AWS CloudFormation templates for Unity. So this makes it easy to get access to those resources and integrate GameLift into your Unity game. Now, trusted by some of the world's most successful game companies like Ubisoft, Gung-Ho, GameLift deploys, operates, and scales dedicated servers for multiplayer games. Now, with this update, game developers can use the GameLift plugin for Unity to access GameLift APIs 
and deploy AWS CloudFormation templates for common gaming scenarios. Um, now, this makes it nice and easy to get up and running very, very quickly. It's a simplified download and installation experience, gives you native Unity UIs and workflows. So if you're used to working in Unity, you're going to find using GameLift nice and easy. It also dramatically reduces the amount of development time and effort because stuff is already built in, including the libraries needed to access the GameLift APIs. And you also have lots of templates and examples so you can start not from scratch, but from something more substantial. Onto the topic of the Internet of Things, AWS IT Device Defender now supports detect alarm verification states. Now, this is useful for verifying an alarm based upon your investigation of detected behavior anomalies. And you can verify an alarm as a true positive, a benign positive, a false positive, or unknown, and provide a description of the verification. Now, this is really useful to improve the way you manage your alarms and get a better response time as well. AWS IT Device Defender also announces audit one click. This makes it easy for AWS IT core customers to improve their security baseline by making it possible to start auditing their account and IT devices against security best practices with a single click. This is really important because there is, of course, the old joke that the S in IoT stands for security. So uh, having security is an important thing when it comes to IoT devices. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, Amazon Lex has launched support for Korean. So you can now deliver a robust and localized conversational experience that understands Korean. And you can also respond to users with natural sounding Amazon Poly Korean voices to provide a fully localized voice experience. Amazon Lex has also announced utterance statistics for bots using Lex V2 console or API. So with this launch, you can view and analyze utterance information processed by the bot. And this information can be used to improve performance of your bot by adding new utterances to existing intents and helping you discover new intents that can be serviced by the bot. Utterance statistics also enable you to compare performance across multiple versions of a bot. And there's no additional charge for these statistics. They're just readily available for you now in the Lex V2 console. That's very cool. You can now use lifecycle configurations to customize your Amazon SageMaker Studio. So if you haven't come across Amazon SageMaker Studio, it is the first fully integrated development environment for machine learning. It gives you a single web-based visual interface and you can do all the steps you need to do, preparing data, building, training, deploying models, all that good stuff. Now you can use lifecycle configurations to automate customizations to your studio development environment. So these are shell scripts triggered by SageMaker Studio lifecycle events, like starting a new notebook. So it can do all the install, the setting up, the making it just right for you. So it gives you a lot more options in terms of customization. Amazon SageMaker Autopilot now generates additional metrics for classification problems. So this gives you the ability to build and train, but you still have full control and visibility of what's going on. And along with the objective metric for all model candidates, you now get things like the F1 score, which is the harmonic mean of the precision and recall, accuracy and area under curve for all model candidates. And for multi-class classifications, you get both F1 macro and accuracy for all model candidates. So this gives you more insight. SageMaker Studio enables interactive Spark-based data processing from Studio Notebooks. So again, if that's the environment you're using, you can now visually browse, discover, and connect to Spark data processing environments running on Amazon EMR right from your Studio Notebook in a few clicks, which means you can interactively query, explore, and visualize the data and run Spark jobs using the built-in Spark Magic Notebook environments for Python and Scala. 
And Amazon SageMaker now supports inference endpoint testing from SageMaker Studio. So you can get real-time inference results from your models hosted directly in the studio, which speeds up the testing process. You can now optimize your Amazon forecast model with the accuracy metric of your choice. So you can now select the accuracy metric of your choice to direct AutoML to optimize training a predictor for the selected accuracy metric. Additionally, they've added three more accuracy metrics to evaluate your predictor, average weighted quantile loss, mean absolute percentage error, and mean absolute scaled error. So you can now use any of these three and you can choose the one to optimize your forecast model. Amazon Comprehend has announced model management and evaluation enhancements. So they've launched a suite of features for Comprehend Custom to enable continuous model improvements by giving developers the ability to create new model versions, continuously test on specific test sets, and migrate new models to existing endpoints. Using AutoML, custom entity recognition allows you to customize Comprehend to identify entities that are specific to your domain. Custom classification enables you to build custom text classification models using your business-specific labels, and custom models can subsequently be used to perform inference on text documents, both in real-time and batch processing modes. Creating a custom model is easy to do and no machine learning experience is required. More information on the specific set of features that they launched for Comprehend Custom is available in the show notes. You can now extract custom entities from documents in their native format with Amazon Comprehend. So prior to this announcement, you could only use Comprehend on plain text documents, which required you to flatten documents into machine-readable text, often reducing the quality of the context within the document. This feature now combines the power of natural language processing and optical character recognition, also known as OCR, to extract custom entities from your PDF, Word, and plain text documents using the same API with no pre-processing required now. Wow, that's actually really, really cool. I have used this feature from Comprehend. (laughs) The new custom entity recognition feature utilizes the structural context of text combined with natural language context to extract custom entities from dense text, numbered lists, and bullets. This combination also allows customers to extract discontiguous or disconnected entities that aren't immediately part of the same span of text. For example, entities nested within a table. This feature also removes the need for customers to build custom logic to convert PDF and Word files to flatten plain text files before using Comprehend. And lastly for this topic, Amazon Transcribe now supports the redaction of personal identifiable information for streaming transcriptions. So with this feature, companies can provide their contact center agents with valuable transcripts for ongoing conversations while also maintaining privacy standards since you can now redact that personal identifiable information, you know, such as your name, your email address, your phone number, maybe even your social security number. This redaction feature can be used for any streaming session and it provides you with the option to highlight the identified sensitive information or highlight and mask the PII data. Very nice. Moving on to the topic of management and governance. AWS Health Aware, AHA, is now available for organizational and personal AWS accounts to customize health alerts. Now, this is an incident management and communications framework to ingest proactive and real-time alerts from the AWS Health to a customer's preferred communication channel. Uh, So you can use uh, organizations to get aggregated active account level alerts from impacted accounts across your organization. And you can send them to things like Slack, Microsoft Teams, Amazon Chime, and email alerts. And it can also be integrated with a broad range of other endpoints during configuration. This is the thing you should set up to get view of what's going on in your environment 
not the general environment. So I'm going to go set that up for some of my stuff after this call. <laughs> Customers can now manage AWS Service Catalog app registry applications in AWS Systems Manager. So this gives you an end-to-end -end application management experience. So app registry lets you create applications within your infrastructure as code, CICD pipelines, and post-provisioning processes, and to use Application Manager to view application and operational data and to perform operational actions. The AWS Service Management Connector for ServiceNow supports AWS Service Catalog App Registry, so it all plugs together. Details in the show notes. Amazon CloudWatch request metrics for Amazon S3 access points are now available. So now you can see all those request metrics that were generated for objects in a bucket, uh, or you can generate metrics for specific combinations of prefix, object tags, or access points as well. Amazon CloudWatch Application Insights has added application auto discovery and a new health dashboard. So this is, makes it even easier to set up and monitor the health of your business applications, even without a resource group. So you can automatically set up monitoring and see health at a glance in the summary dashboard using CloudWatch Application Insights. And basically, this new feature makes setting it up even easier. It's truly a one-step process. So it's an account auto discovery process. And basically, you can go either via the resource group or just have it do the work for you. Amazon CloudWatch Application Insights and AWS Systems Manager Application Manager have combined to offer an integrated application management experience. I can't do this one justice. You have to see it for yourself, but <laughs> it is very cool. AWS Managed Services now offers a catalog of operational offerings with Operations on Demand, which is a flexible and scalable option to gain access to additional skilled AMS operations capacity, skills, and experience. Operations on Demand gives customers access to a full range of operational capabilities above and beyond the extensive scope provided by AMS operation plans. Customers can choose from a curated and continually expanding catalog of operational offerings, which are delivered by a combination of automation and highly skilled AMS resources. The AWS Launch Wizard now supports SAP deployments from accounts using AWS Managed Services. So Managed Services now allows customers to deploy SAP HANA-based workloads using the AWS Launch Wizard, which will also help you get guided experience for deploying these production-ready enterprise workloads on AWS and allow you to get your systems up and running in hours versus weeks or months. AWS Firewall Manager Automations for AWS Organizations version 1.1 is now available. This solution allows you to centrally configure, manage, and audit firewall rules across all of your accounts and resources in AWS organizations. It is actually a reference implementation to automate the process to set up AWS firewall manager security policies, and it supersedes AWS centralized WAF and VPC security group management solution. And lastly for this topic, AWS systems manager change calendar now supports third-party calendar imports giving you a more holistic view of events. So these third-party calendars like Microsoft Outlook calendars and others, you can now see all of your events centrally and control what changes can be made to your resources during those events. Using the change calendar, you can schedule calendar events to control the changes made to your resources during the events, such as public marketing promotions, when you expect high demand, events, etc. This new feature now allows you to easily see your external events in a change calendar and control disruptive changes being made during the blocked periods on your calendar. Any calendar import through the change calendar retains the recurring events, ensuring the users do not lose important recurring events during the import. And this 
release supports the following third-party calendars, Google calendars, Microsoft Outlook calendars, and Apple iCloud calendars, all in the ICS format. Nifty. Moving on to the topic of media services, the Adverse Elemental Media Package now supports version 2.0 of the Secure Packager and Encoder Key Exchange API. Version 2 makes it possible to use native content protection information exchange format, CPIX 2.3 documents, which allows for the use of multiple encryption keys for different media tracks. With Media Package and Speak V2, you can now use two keys, one for audio tracks and one for video tracks with live Dash and CMAF streams with support for more complex encryption models for content protection requirements to follow. And Adebis has also launched a new Speak V2 qualification program for partner DRM platforms. And this program includes automated and manual tests to verify the implementation's compliance and the end-to-end interoperability with the reference video players. The qualified Speak V2.0 DRM platform partners are Axonom, ByDRM, Cast Labs, Inca Networks, and Intertrust. Moving on to the topic of mobile, Amplify has announced command hooks to execute custom scripts when running Amplify CLI commands. Oh, I've been waiting a lifetime for this one. Customers can execute custom scripts before, during, and after Amplify CLI commands such as Amplify Push, Amplify API, GraphQL Compile, and more. This allows you to extend your best practice defaults to meet your organization's security guidelines and operational requirements. So you can easily just create bash shell scripts, drop them into Amplify slash hooks folder, and then uh, name them accordingly like post push or pre-add function. And then Amplify will actually run those scripts before or after the commands that you run in the terminal, which is great. Cue Nikki retooling her entire workflow environment. Seriously. (laughs) Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery, AWS Site-to-Site VPN releases an updated download configuration utility. With this update, Site-to-Site VPN customers can generate configuration templates for compatible customer gateway devices, which makes it easier to create your VPN connections. And this also adds support for Internet Key Exchange version V2 parameters for many popular customer gateway devices. An update for the ability for customers to customize their reverse DNS for elastic IP addresses. It's now available in 16 additional regions. So this makes it much easier for things like email deliverability, etc. So you can now customize it much more easily. Onto the topic of quantum technologies. Amazon Bracket introduces verbatim compilation for quantum circuits. Now, when developing quantum algorithms, users program primarily in abstract quantum circuits that specify a collection of gates to be executed. Quantum circuit compilation transforms an abstract quantum circuit into a compiled circuit that is optimized for a specific type of quantum hardware. During this optimization, the original circuit undergoes a compilation process that transforms the circuit through qubit allocation, reordering and mapping to the native gates supported by the hardware. Researchers and quantum algorithm specialists who are focused on hardware benchmarking or on developing error mitigation protocols need an ability to exactly specify the gates and circuit layouts that will be executed on their chosen quantum hardware. The new verbatim compilation capability gives users direct control over the compilation process by disabling certain optimization steps, thereby ensuring that the circuits are executed exactly as designed. This is pretty nifty. It's kind of like saying, we'll do it in hardware versus in software, but at a quantum scale. So cool. So cool. Moving on to the topic of robotics, AWS RoboMaker now supports container images in simulations. So this feature now enables you to use container tools that you're already familiar with to build and package your code running those simulations in RoboMaker. 
You can take advantage of container features such as cross-environment execution and dependency package locking while using Ribble Maker. And you can use any of the compliant images in Amazon ECR with Ribble Maker. Moving on to the topic of satellite, AWS Ground Station has announced Licensing Accelerator, which is a new feature which provides commercial businesses, space startups, and universities access to resources to help them more efficiently secure spectrum licenses required for their operations and missions. This is so cool. Licensing Accelerator is free of charge to Ground Station customers. And with Licensing Accelerator, customers can now launch and scale their spacecraft operations faster by leveraging the latest centrally located information about satellite licensing regulations, such as space station licensing, remote sensing licenses, and international telecommunications union coordination. This is very cool. It's such a, it's such a complex world, the whole, hey, I'm launching stuff into space. I mean, that <laughs> was just so be? cool, like so cool. <laughs> Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, Amazon Detective now supports S3 and DNS finding types and also adds more finding details. So now you can easily investigate unusually activities on your buckets, like who created the S3 bucket? When was the S3 bucket created? Who made it public? Did the user execute sensitive APIs, etc.? Lots of cool stuff there. And Amazon Detective also now offers Splunk integration. So this is in coordination with the Splunk Trumpet project. It's the ability to pivot from an Amazon Guard Duty finding into Splunk directly into an Amazon Detective entity profile so that you can quickly identify the root cause of potential security issues and suspicious activities. And this all comes down to fast resolution, which is what you want in that situation. Amazon Macy adds support for selecting managed data identifiers. So this is what you use when you're creating a sensitive data discovery job. So it lets you customize what data types you deem sensitive and would like Macy to alert on per specific data governance and privacy needs in your organization. When you create a job, you choose from the growing list of managed data identifiers like PII, financial information, credential materials that you'd like to target, and you run it with Macy. AWS WAF now offers inline regular expressions. So WAF has extended its regex support, allowing regex patterns to be expressed in line within a rule statement. Previously, you had to create a regex pattern set, which provided a collection of regex patterns in a rule statement, even if you wanted to use just a single regex pattern in your WAF rule logic. With inline regex, you can now include a single regex pattern directly inside a WAF rule statement, simplifying how WAF rules are expressed within your web ACL. That's a nice little convenience one. And AWS Firewall Manager now supports AWS WAF rate-based rules. So Firewall Manager now enables you to centrally deploy your WAF rate-based rules across accounts in your organization. A WAF rate-based rule allows you to track the rate of request for each originating IP address and trigger a rule action on IPs once it goes over that limit. With this launch, security administrators on the Firewall Manager can now deploy rate-based rules across accounts mandating request limits per account using the Firewall Manager security policy for AWS WAF. And moving on to the topic of storage, AWS Storage Gateway simplifies tape management for tape gateway. In fact, now you can quickly search for tapes using common filters such as the tape barcode and status. Simple searching, simple finding, and also makes managing your archives and your retention periods really easy. Tape Gateway supports all leading backup applications and lets you replace physical tapes on premises with virtual tapes in AWS without changing backup workflows. This caches data on premises for low latency access, compresses and encrypts it and sends it across to AWS and transitions those virtual tapes to Amazon S3 Glacier or Amazon S3 Glacier Deep Archive, which helps you reduce your storage costs. 
And last topic here is the topic of startups. We've announced Build on AWS for startups. I actually think this is super cool. This is a new offering from AWS Activate designed to help startups build your infrastructure in minutes. So Build on AWS is actually a collection of infrastructure templates and reference architectures covering a wide variety of solutions curated specifically for startups. These solutions are built by experts at AWS and based on our best practices. It enables startups to focus on building your core product, knowing that they're using our best practices for your underlying cloud infrastructure. With the launch of Build on AWS, it's now been simplified that those first steps of launching scalable, reliable, secure, and optimized infrastructure tailored to the startup industry or use case. This would have been handy for you back in the day. Seriously, that's all I thought when I read this the first time. <laughs> well, it's here now, and if you're a startup, you should look at it. <laughs> yes. Nikki, we covered a lot today. It's been good to do it uh, as a as a team again. Yes, uh, it's been it's been great to be back, and uh, and sorry for all the scheduling issues previously. And I do have to again apologize for the for the noise that sometimes happens. Um, I'm on lockdown. Nikki's traveling. I think we're we're doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Nikki, how do people get in touch with you? So you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is knee like your knee and a key 23. That's K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. Love to hear your feedback. Please feel free to DM me. I answer all of my direct messages on Twitter. And as always, we always incorporate your feedback into every next show that we can. Indeed we do. And also if you want to share feedback, Adibus podcast at amazon.com is another place or you can do audio feedback using the link on the podcast page and you record a message to us as well nikki look forward to seeing you next time absolutely and thanks everyone for listening and until next time keep on building episode number 500 of the adios podcast is coming up we have a very special episode planned for you with lots of special guests but we'd love to hear from you If you'd like to contribute some audio to share, maybe your perspective on the podcast, um, how you've used it, et cetera, we'd love to hear from you. If you visit adibus.amazon.com slash podcast slash adibus-podcast, you can see there's a button on that page and it says submit questions and feedback. This lets you upload your own audio to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note and we'd love to include you in the episode.